Hello. Today's episode is about the woman at the well that uh, Jesus met. Um, prophetic shadow for the RLDS church. I know that's a strange concept. Um, why would I say such a thing? Um, almost 20 years ago, a friend of mine told me that they had received a word by way of the spirit that the woman whom Jesus met at the well was prophetically speaking, a type and shadow for the RLDS church. Well, that struck my interest, of course. So I started looking into the potential parallels. I thought I'd share a little bit about that today because I think it's a message for all of us, um, particularly us Book of Mormon believers and those who have come out of the restoration. I'm aware uh, that the events in our scriptures can serve as parallels or prophetic shadows of things to come. And I also understand that these prophetic shadows can be fulfilled in a, a number of different ways and at, at different times. Um, you may have noticed some of those parallels yourself, events recorded in the scriptures that, um, that there is some potential modern equivalent to. The Samaritans of the New Testament, I don't know if you're aware of this, but they were a small remnant left from the tribe of Israel after the dispersion of the northern tribes by the kingdom of Assyria. Once considered Israelites, because they had become intermarried with Gentiles, the Jews viewed their bloodline as corrupt. And for this reason, along with some historic rivalries and doctrinal differences, the Samaritans were seen as unclean by the Jews. And therefore, a Jew would go many miles out of his way to bypass Samaria altogether, so as not to defile himself by coming in contact with them. There was so much animosity, in fact, that at one point, Christ's disciples suggested that Jesus call down fire, like Elijah, to consume the Samaritans. But Jesus rebuked them, saying, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. It is also interesting to note that Jesus chose to typecast a Samaritan as the hero in one of his parables. The notion of a good Samaritan was probably seen as ludicrous, even nauseating to Jewish way of thinking. And then one day, Jesus announced to his disciples, I must go through Samaria. Since Jesus did nothing but what the Father commanded him, we must presume that he was sent into Samaria for a good reason. It was on this journey that Jesus met the woman at the well. Indeed, it is really the only significant event recorded as a result of this trip. And therefore, this seemingly chance encounter was likely his main purpose of going there. So... I think we need to pay attention to it. A well or wells of water played an important role in biblical history. Moses met his wife Zipporah at a well and Isaac also met his wife Rebecca at a well. And this particular well that's mentioned in this story also has some historic significance to it. You see Jacob met his beloved Rachel at this same well, Israel would later give this well to his son Joseph for an inheritance, 
and it was located in the portion of the promised land that was uh, given to Ephraim as their inheritance. The bottom of Jacob's well has varied in depth throughout the centuries. It was recorded as deep as 240 feet in AD 670 and as shallow as 67 feet uh, in AD 1881. And according to the testimony of John, it was a very deep well in Jesus's day. If you visit this well today, a guide will let out a 120 foot rope uh, into the well before the bucket actually touches water. And after this arduous task of raising the bucket full of water, the visitors gather around to drink from a common brass cup. The well is fed by an underground spring and its water is fresh and cool because the water in it is moving rather than coming from like a cistern. The ancients called it living water. Jesus would give a new and special meaning to that phrase though. So I believe it is significant that it is this very same well that Jesus would meet the Samaritan woman, a woman of the tribe of Ephraim, but with mixed blood, so that the Jews would consider her no longer an Israelite, but actually a Gentile. Is it possible that this woman could represent Latter-day Ephraim? The Book of Mormon also calls us Gentiles, but states that if we will repent, we will be numbered among the house of Israel. So how does that happen? Let's examine the story as found in John chapter 4. Uh, it's beginning in verse 7, going through 20. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was said to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is very deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up unto everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me of this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. We always take things literally, don't we, with the Lord? And Jesus said to her, Go, Call your husband and, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Believing there is a specific purpose for everything that is recorded in the Gospels, the question that immediately springs to my mind is when reading this account, why would we need to know the details of this woman's life, including the exact number of husbands she had? This brings me back to the testimony of a friend who told me that the Spirit had revealed to them that the woman symbolized the RLDS church in some way. If that is so, does she also represent the LDS church or is there another parallel for the LDS church? I don't know. If the Samaritan woman is a parallel for the RLDS church or a symbol, then the details of her story should prove to be significant. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman she had five husbands, but the one she was currently with was not her husband. That is six people altogether. If the spiritual leader of a group of people or a church could be compared to as a husband, let's say, let's begin with Joseph Smith Jr., the first prophet of the church. And let's list the first five prophets that we're aware of in RLDS tradition. And that would be Joseph Smith Jr., Joseph Smith III, Frederick M. Smith, Israel A. Smith, and W. Wallace Smith. Here we have five husbands. Biblically, the number of five represents grace. Perhaps these first five prophets represented a time of grace that God bestowed upon the RLDS church so that they had a space of time to repent and perform the work that they were called to do. The sixth man to hold the office of president in the church was Wallace B. Smith. The number six represents man in the scriptures. And this is because man was created on the sixth day. The number of the beast is 666, which is the number of man, but in a trinity form. Because of this, it may represent a man trying to make himself God. There are certainly plenty of people who would argue that Wallace B. Smith's tenure as church president, that he did the will of man and not the will of God. And this would result, though, in a breakup of the church. And since then, the church has generally become scattered, leaderless and divided and continues to dwindle. What do you think? Is this a coincidence? Or is there something to this? If there's something to this, then I think the message that Jesus gives to the Samaritan woman is as much to the LDS or the Temple Lot or any other segment of Book of Mormon believers as much as it is for the RLDS church. But let's return to the story. You see, the woman at the well says to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where we ought to worship. Here the woman speaks directly to the division between Ephraim, along with the northern tribes of Israel, and the southern tribe of Judah. Israel originally worshipped God in Shiloh, which was in the mountains in Ephraim's territory. Shiloh was the resting place of the tabernacle of God and the Ark of the Covenant for some 400 years before it was moved to Jerusalem. 
The Jews at the time of this encounter, when Jesus encountered the woman at the well, worshipped at Jerusalem. So this particular issue of where the proper place of worship was continued to be a matter of strife between Ephraimites and Jews. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Jesus hints at the end resolution of this long conflict between Judah and Ephraim, saying that people will neither go to worship God in Samaria nor Jerusalem. Jesus further states in verse 22, you worship, you know not what, because by this time, the religion of the Samaritans had become so corrupted and confused with many pagan elements in it uh, from the various Gentile nations that they no longer even knew or worshiped the true God of Israel. The same might be said of modern Ephraim. We may need some straightening out to become more pure in our worship. The Jews, on the other hand, by this time had put down idolatry among them, and they worshipped only the God of Israel. That is, no doubt, at least one reason why the temple was built in Jerusalem. However, Jesus wasn't actually upholding the religion of the Jews as the perfect example either, for it had become a legalistic and dead form. The spiritual leaders among the Jews had become harsh judges, accusing others of breaking the law, while they themselves violated the very heart of it. The reason Jesus told the Samaritan woman that salvation is of the Jews is because Jesus, a Jew, is the salvation of the world, is he not? And he says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Here we see that the place of worship is no longer the primary matter of importance, but rather the type or the quality of that worship. It is not about an outward show or an appearance of righteousness, but rather what is going on within the heart of man that matters. It must be pure and motivated by love. It must be done in spirit and in truth. The Samaritans were part of the lost sheep of the house of Israel, as are we. Just as a number of patriarchs of old first met their wives at a well, so Jesus offered this Samaritan woman at the well and the rest of us a spiritual marriage proposal to be joined to him as our savior our true spiritual head she had many husbands before this relying on men to be her head is that true of us those in rlds or lds or temple lot or what have you now jesus would offer her and us a marriage covenant with one who is true and will never fail us. This is the true significance of this encounter that occurred at Jacob's well. Jacob was given the name Israel by the Lord. What Jesus offered the Samaritan woman is extended to all of Israel and to every person hearing this. Do we look for another husband or another prophet of flesh to be our head? Jesus offers himself as the truest prophet and a friend that we could ever have. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the ministry you brought that day. 
to a remnant of the house of Israel, even to the outcast of those gathered in Samaria. Thank you for all you have done for our forefathers and for each of us. Thank you for all that you will shortly bring to pass among us. I praise the God of Israel for his great and marvelous works of restoration, which even now are unfolding before us. And may the Lord bless each one of you. Amen.